Hello and welcome back once again to the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. This is episode 137. John and Wendy talk to Karen Eber. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you, John? Wendy, I am well. And as much as our schedules changed this year with the pandemic, as it were, and we've had some conferences we've done virtually, and and you've spoken, I've spoken, and we've attended, I'm really psyched about something coming up at the end of the month, Wendy, that I I don't think either of us are... Sadly, we're not speaking, but I no. think it's going to be super cool, and I think I, I think people should check it out. For sure, definitely. Um, ERE.net is hosting a digital conference this fall. Um, super, super excited about it. It is the thing I love about uh, about ERE is it is uh, it's all practitioners. So we're not going to have to listen to, you know, the CEOs and all of the big wigs talking about what they would hope or their strategy. But you're going to talk, listen to people who are actually in the weeds and and doing the work. Um, so it is Tuesday, October 20, 20th and Wednesday, October 21st. We'll be sharing the link to that. Um, and we will also have a code for a discount, which, hey. It pays who you know, right? <laughs> you talked about what you love about ER, yes. the ERE conference the most. I'm just going to say it. Vadim Lieberman is the reason I love oh, heck yeah. the ERE conference the most. <laughs> Our pal, Vadim. There are some great people that actually former guests of the show. We have several folks that are that are going to be speaking mm-hmm. and talking about talent. It should be a tremendous event. We plan to attend in yep. bits and pieces. So definitely yep. check it out. Uh, like Wendy said, we're going to have a link in the show notes there will be a code to get yep. a discount to attend. I would safely say this is one that I would definitely recommend, highly yeah. recommend attending yeah. to your point because of the speakers, because of the content. Hashtag Recruiter Twitter, those of you that are those that are interested in that yeah. and learning more about uh, ERE, great opportunity to do it. Definitely is. And, and it's, you know, ERE.net, check it out for lots of great writers, lots of great content there as well. Very much focused on that hiring process, of course. TLNT. um, handles the actual employment side of things, but there's lots of great content there. We love Vadim. And I think this is, you know, the thing too, because sometimes when it's digital, you look like, "Eh, is it going to be worth the money? This is going to be worth the money. I would absolutely agree. And we want to go on record and saying ERE is not a sponsor of the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. We are doing this because we really do. We really care about Vadim and what he's doing with ERE. And we really think it's a great opportunity for those of you that that are looking for that type of content. I'm really excited about tonight's guest. Seems like we've gotten to know Karen over the last little bit. We got yep. to actually talk a little band nerd shop before we got going, <laughs> which is always fun. So I'm really glad we were able to make this happen. I'm going to stop talking and let you make the introduction and we will get started. For sure. So excited to welcome Karen Eber to the show tonight. She is a TEDx and international speaker, coach, and facilitator who develops leaders and shapes cultures one story at a time. She brings 20 years of experience driving global talent development for individuals, teams, and organizations in the Fortune 500. Karen is the CEO and chief storyteller of Eber Leadership Group. She brings deep expertise from leading culture and executive development, serving as a chief learning officer and leading talent development in companies like General Electric, Deloitte, and HP. She co-designed the ratings-free performance management approach at Deloitte and conducted one of the largest performance management studies for Neuro Leadership Institute. Karen's roots are in psychology, and she holds a master's in instructional design and a bachelor's in psychology, and she resides in Atlanta, Georgia. 
Well, Karen, welcome to the show tonight. We are so excited to have you. And our first question is what's in your glass? Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. I went with a cranberry spritzer, but not the alcoholic kind, the <laughs> water and cranberry kind. I was telling John, I have boot camp very early in the morning, so I'm on the straight side. Understood. We'll let it slide this time, Karen. Yeah, <laughs> we'll let it slide this time. When we're in person, I'll remedy that. There we go. <laughs> Karen, again, really glad we were able to get together. So we always like to start with how exactly did you get started in talent development? Yeah, and it's probably helpful to just tell a brief version of my journey. My my talent development experience really evolved. I studied psychology and I wanted to figure out how you apply that towards business. And that's what brought me into the corporate space. I started in HP in an internal consulting group, helping different groups inside HP apply the human side to IT with training and managing change. And I then moved to Deloitte and did the same thing for Deloitte clients. And I enjoyed it, but I wanted to dig in more. And Deloitte was building their brick and mortar university and was looking to redo their whole talent development approach. And so I went internal to do leadership development at Deloitte and started building simulations and, and helping them change the way they thought about learning and developing the owners of the company. And somewhere in there, we started to research this idea of what would it look like if we tried to develop people's strengths versus closing their gaps? Like most companies at the time, Deloitte was using ratings and a forced bell curve and your performance management conversation is, you know, five minutes of here's the three things you do well and 45 minutes of let's talk about things that happened seven months ago where you're terrible. And we thought, what if we looked at the research that says people grow the most in the areas of strength and flipped development to really focus on that, where everybody meets their baseline expectations, but they're growing their strengths. And so I took on this approach of doing a whole assessment across talent management of if we look at the life cycle of the employee from how we're recruiting to onboarding to putting people on projects, assessing performance, what ways are we supporting strengths today and and what are we doing to hinder that? And the biggest offender was performance management. That's how Deloitte joined the fray of thinking about how do we think about performance management differently? How do we think about developing people differently? And I co-built that design to really think about how can we take the raw material of a person that makes them unique and wonderful and bring that forward. Uh, so after doing that, which was a massive project, I decided I wanted to do some international work and went to General Electric in a chief learning officer role in a business there, which stretched me into figuring out how do you touch 90,000 employees globally and have the impact that you need. And, and then as businesses merged, that became a role where I was shaping culture. So over the course of my time, I think the psychology applied towards business started with like learning solutions and then it broadened into performance. And then how do you put the right systems in place and how do you look at that talent ecosystem? And it's just evolved and evolved and evolved. That's very cool. So now you're out on your own. I am. And you've been doing that for about a little over a year. What prompted you to do that, to go out on your own? And I love your title, Chief Storyteller. So we got to hear a little bit more about how you came up with that. The Chief Storyteller came about from starting when I was five years old. I told my first story. I have two different color eyes. And when I was in school, kids would come up to me all the time and say, oh, 
do you know you have two different color eyes? To which I would always be like, no. And then they'd ask, how did that happen? And I didn't know how to handle it because I was five and I have been raised in sarcasm. And so I started telling the story of when I was four all many years ago, all one year ago. I would have this box of crayons where you have sometimes the perfect crayons and the ones that are peeled and the ones that are broken. And one night while I was waiting for dinner, I was coloring and I was really hungry and I popped in a green crayon and I ate it. At the time, both my eyes were brown and it tasted pretty good. So I ate all the green crayons in the box. And the next day I woke up and my eye was green. So I, I used that story when I was five and you see the reaction to you where people are like, is she serious? Is she not serious? Like, what do I do with this? Uh, and I love that, which is fascinating because I'm not really a center of attention, although I do keynotes and I love that, but I'm not a attention hog, but I just loved the way a story could take someone to a different place and challenge their thinking. And that one obviously wasn't truthful or, or maybe it was, um, but it was just fun. And so what I realized throughout my career is I have this talent for not only using story to connect people to new ideas and thinking and illustrate points, but when I'm working with people, I help them see either the story they need to help them think about their leadership or when they're leaders and they're trying to communicate something, I'm able to hold the mirror up and help pull out that story and help people work on it. And so I feel like storytelling is so key in how you're shaping culture and building leaders and it's everything I do. So that's how it's in my title. I went out on my own because over the years, as I sat on the other side of the desk in HP and and GE and Deloitte, I worked with many partners and I just felt like, oh, I can do better. Like there's more here that's needed that I feel like they're missing. Things were too generalized. It wasn't really addressing the pain points or things were dated. And the thought of being able to go help companies deal with some of their toughest challenges, the the stuff that makes everybody panic right now, the hard conversations and how you actually use neuroscience to engage performance, all of that. I just felt like this is a place where I shine and I feel like I can have impact. And I would much rather do that than go do another talent management role where I've done the same things over and over. And I love every minute of it. I love connecting with different people and seeing their world and bringing different perspectives and helping them figure out what's right for them. Well, I'm sure when you set out a year ago to tell these amazing stories, which I think if I was another kid, I would ask you what the crayon tasted like. Green would be mint, brown chocolate, whatever. A little waxy. By the way, I used that to kick off a talk for a STEM audience. It was the worst idea because they all leaned forward and they were looking at my eyes and no one put attention on the crayon. And I'm like, where are my science people? You know this isn't true. Come on. Uh, a year ago, you go off on your own to start telling your stories like the rest of us had no idea what was coming next. How has the pandemic or even the recession that's come from it, how has that affected the clients that you do work with? Has it changed how they're looking at leadership development? Talk to us a little bit about that. It's so funny, but I am all for this time. Most people would say, no way, I'm all for it for so many reasons. I think that for many companies, it's shattering this. We can't do that. We can't we can't have people work from home. They have to be in the office. We can't change these things. 
the way people are speaking up against the cultures and the way they haven't been treated well, the anti-racism that's coming out, like all of that I'm for because it's a disruptive time. And I find companies are falling into two buckets. The ones that are saying, okay, this is our time to evolve and there's going to be some pain points, but let's lean into this and think about what we can do differently to better equip our leaders and to intentionally shape our culture And then there's the ones that are counting the minutes on their fingers until they can try to go back and exert control and go back to status quo. Those are the companies that are going to hurt the most because they're just wasting all of this potential for what they could do different. And they have misconceptions of what's actually driving performance. And so I'm finding this is a time where, you know, this space of how do you build leaders? How do you shape culture? How do you equip that people leader to make a difference? It's never more needed. And the conversations have jumped much further along because I'm not trying to convince people it's okay to let someone work from home. It's it's just a different space. So I think it's great. And I think especially from dismantling racism and, and white privilege, it's so powerful because there's realizations happening. And I think that it's cleared the space for some wonderful colleagues we all know to come in and work their magic, which I think is awesome. For sure. And I, you know, and I think it's, somebody mentioned it, I don't remember who it was now, but they, there was an article or a blog post about, you know, maybe we, we're going backwards. Everyone wants to go back. Everyone wants to go back. Nobody's talking about going forward into where we should be after this. So it's, I think that the word choice now, I'm, as I'm listening to it, I'm like, that's just interesting when we talk about, we want to go back, we want to go backwards. And that's usually, uh, again, I think it's going to be telling. It's comforting, right? We love yeah. to go to what we know, but I have friends that are in education, both at the collegiate level and at the K through 12 level. And as hard as it is, and man, is it hard what teachers are going through and professors they're all also really excited because it's like now is the time to force us forward. And so I think it's, you know, people will either see this, they'll have a growth mindset or they'll put up a wall and, and they'll pay for it. Yep. For sure. Before or after the pandemic, (laughs) what do you believe is the biggest talent development issue employers are facing or will be facing over the next several years as we go into the great unknown? I, I don't think there's one thing. I think there's many things. What is interesting to me when companies come and say, can we talk about the future of work and the future of leadership and AI? I say, absolutely. Let me understand what your current environment is. And and as I ask questions, they have no idea how to have difficult conversations. They're doing goals cascaded once a year and not revisiting them. They're, They're avoiding feedback and there's definite trust issues. And so I sit there and I'm like, you're worried about this future when you need to get your house in order. And so I think to me, what I see most often is that the more we go into this time, the more people are going to have to lean into empathy and learning how to have the hard conversations and learning how to embrace feedback and really get into the different things that allow people to develop. And unfortunately, people are promoted because there's a role, not because they've reached this sudden level of leadership. And most often they're not trained. And so they're doing what they see, they're guessing, and they're never really taught how to do these things. So they naturally avoid them. And I think the more we can better equip people leaders on how to 
take a person, find out where they're at their best, quickly help them bring that forward and remove obstacles and just check in on their progress and be able to do that with a changing team, the better. And some companies have that figured out perfectly and it works well, but the majority I find just fall down. So it's funny to me when we talk about the future of work, we're still talking about the same things. We're still talking about trust and feedback and all the things that neurologically will change performance, but we haven't put the time in because it feels really hard. And there's ways to go about it that feels less hard, giving people prompts to start these conversations and help them understand how to do it. We have had so many of these conversations, you know, two and a half years in, and guess what? It's still the same stuff, which is maddening sometimes, right? (laughs) It's also like, well, why is it the same stuff? Is it that we're not investing in the development? Are we making excuses? I think we're at this awesome place where we can look at data analytics to understand what our best teams, what our best employees look like, and not from an algorithm, and but from a, how can we start to see patterns of what great looks like and take that to other places and use it to inform? What's most fascinating to me is for industry, it's still fairly new. I mean, 150 years, you know, it, it hasn't been thousands and thousands of years that people have been working. And so for a hundred years, the role of a manager was like, you have to put this widget here and I have 20 people doing the same thing. I don't care what your talents are. I just need you to do this. And so it is very hierarchical and command and control. So it's like one leader to 20 people and I have all the information and you do these things. And work has shifted because it's not about the same thing. The dot-com era really accelerated this idea of what is the unique value that you bring? Because I need you to bring us forward in a different way than the person next to you. Yet we still have the hierarchical managers. We still have the managers thinking, I have all the knowledge. And so the shift in how the leaders focus on individualization and bring that forward just hasn't happened broadly enough. What I find most often is that many technical leaders, whatever their technical profession is, say, you know, well, I'm a technical person with leadership skills, and we have to get them to flip to say, I'm a leader with technical skills. It's a frustrating conversation, but it's a great conversation to be having, and I I appreciate that we're having it with you. Interestingly enough, Karen, a little earlier, we really started seeing you online in the last little bit, and, and you've got connected with the HR community, you know, I guess talk a little bit about this is usually where Wendy says it's all about us. How in the world did you find the social hour and what kept you engaged? Why do you keep coming back? First, let me offer advice to people because if I was going to do this over, I would go back five years, 10 years. I worked in companies where we were flat out told, do not be on social media. Not even like the opinions are my own. It was very much, we want to control every message I started to defy that a little bit with LinkedIn and then expanded that more and more, but avoided the other ones because of that. And so I feel like now I'm playing catch up. And as I have found this whole community, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, if I found this community so many years ago, like how different would this be? Because it's been nothing but richness and goodness. And so I don't remember exactly how I stumbled into the community. I do remember how I met both of you, but it was through Twitter. I thought, well, you know, what I love about social media is it's a great way to see different opinions. It's a great way to get 
articles and ideas pushed to you that you wouldn't know about. And I started doing that. And I think I just started to see some names over and over and it accelerated. The one that was like the biggest boost in my day, Wendy, was you because we had exchanged a couple messages on Twitter and then you said, hey, do you want to have a conversation? And to everyone out there who's on Twitter, do this. Because in that moment, I thought that is so cool because I really did, but I wasn't sure, is that going to be annoying if I reach out and say, yeah, I'd love to do a get to know because we all get these messages on LinkedIn and Twitter and people wanting time. And I don't want to sell anything. I want to meet people. I want to know what they're about. And so I was hesitant to do it because I want to respect people's time. And when you did that, I was like, awesome. And that made me do so many more. And I've that's why you're seeing more and more of me. It's just given me the chance to meet so many people around the world and have these fascinating conversations. And so if anybody is like holding back, don't because you're missing out. And thank you, Wendy. You're very welcome. You know, I think that's kind of the other bright side of the pandemic and everyone being stuck at home is people have become more comfortable with having these conversations. I go back, you know, I lived in Montana for a number of years and became started you know, Facebook friends with the people that I knew there. But once they couldn't get together in person anymore and they started having virtual happy hours, then I was invited again. And other friends that had moved away, we were invited again. And so it's not just in the HR community, but the larger community has realized that you can still have real connections. In person is always going to be number one. This is a really close second in my book. When you said, let's have coffee, I said to myself, okay, your personal goal during pandemic time is you have to reach out and meet people. And they may say no, but your goal is to just meet people and talk and listen. And it has been such a fascinating, rich thing that I would have never done. Never. Sarah Noel Wilson is my sister from another mister. We realize how many things we have in common and even down to phrases we use. And so there have been some really deep connections that have come from this where we got on a web call and realized it was our first time like doing a web call together that we'd had so much connection that felt natural through Twitter and through different messages that it didn't feel unnatural at all. And so I love to defy those companies that say you can't have meaningful connection because I have a bounty of strangers that I've connected with who we just came with the idea of being open and have learned a lot. Karen, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of our show, the half hour question connection. What career did you dream of having when you were a child? Okay, this is good. I was just writing about this because I had forgotten about it. You know the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile? (laughs) Yes. I thought it would be really cool to do a day in the life where you would go do a job for a day, like drive the Oscar Mayer Wienermobile for a day where it's long enough to get the feel for it, but not so long that you get bored. And then I wanted to go work in the Crayola factory. And then I wanted to like work in an ice cream factory and I wanted to drive a Zamboni machine. I thought the cool thing would be like this day in a life where you never get to the super boring parts of a job, but you get to enough of it that you see things that are like completely unexpected that you wouldn't know. And you would see a little bit of what life is behind the scenes and it gets to like the story of it. And so that I always thought would be fascinating. And then I guess that would be like, I don't know, a 
Sunday magazine journal type thing on TV. Mike Rowe. It sounds like his yeah. job. It's like about what he's done. Yeah. I love it. I love it. So you wanted to do everything. Yeah. <laughs> I did. But now, you know, if you put me in the Oscar Mayer Wiener Mobile now, and I would be like, I have to park this thing. Like, I think right? you can rent it, but I'm not sure I would want to drive it everywhere. It, it was at the gas station here last week. And it's pulled up like at a regular, the regular gas station and in line with everybody else. And I'm just like, no. Yeah, but exactly. Like the thing about that isn't driving it. It's the reaction you get from everybody and the joy you bring to everybody when you do it. Like, I just think that part of it would be really interesting. Maybe somebody else drove it. (laughs) (laughs) I could just ride it. (laughs) This may be a difficult question based on engaging as much as you have in the last bit, but who's one person you've gained in your network in the last year that you think more people should know? I wouldn't say in the last year, but there's two people that I think of that I think are both so special. I think more people need to know. So one is this HRBP here in Atlanta. Her name is Akila Charlemagne. I met her three or four years ago at a brief little conference. And I remember when I met her, I'm like, man, this woman is so good at connecting people and knowing people and showing up. She's involved in everything, but in a meaningful way. And she's always making connections and she's a master networker, brilliant HR woman, and just a huge boost every time I get to see or interact with her. So she's someone that I think people should get to know because she, you're, you're going to feel great joy, but get a lot from it. And the other is the global head of people analytics at Kraft Heinz, Serena Huang. I've known her for a few years. She was at GE and and now at Kraft. And I just love her approach to not just people analytics, but human performance in a realistic way. It's not about the numbers. It really is about how are you bringing the best out of people. And I think she's doing really interesting forward thinking. And I'm excited to see what she does as she goes forward. So those would be two I would put on people's radar. So a new HR professional asks you for one piece of advice. What do you tell them? I would probably go with the advice I gave before of build this network, not just in your office, not just in your town. I've worked with wonderful HR people and we all, myself included, came with this bias of like, oh, I'm so busy. I'm just going to focus on building my network and my company and not lifting my head and having conversations with other people with a little bit of a chip on our shoulder, like, well, no one's doing what we're doing. So what's the point? And that's such a misconception. And it's such a missed opportunity because you just get insular thinking and you miss out on different perspectives. And there's just so much richness in that environment. So I would say like, dedicate time every single week to building your network, whether that's reading people's articles or reading tweets or actively engaging. Like, Don't just get stuck in your company. Karen, how do you enjoy giving back to the HR community? I have a bunch of things that I'm doing. When the pandemic started, I started pulling together heads of leadership development in different companies because they were scrambling to try to figure out how do we shift to virtual? How are we dismantling systemic racism? How are we helping our leaders get equipped? And that was definitely like, we just need a place to come talk 
to each other. Um, and so that's now turned into a monthly discussion and it's turned into such an interesting discussion. I mean, even to be able to sit down and be like, tell me all the tools you use has been super helpful. I do mentoring on storytelling where I can help people hone in on that story and pull it forward. I do a lot of keynote speaking and donate different talks and workshops to different HR organizations, especially where there's young HR professionals that are looking to grow. And the one thing I I took a lot of time to do on my website, I have this tool section that has what I call the hard questions where they're hard questions because there's no right answer, but there are some wrong ones and how you can handle it. And it's things like, what's my role with emotional employees? Or what do I do with my offsite that I was supposed to have? Or how do I lead in a crisis? Or if I have to lay someone off, how do I do it with compassion? And so these are all free resources that gives someone, gives a people leader a place to start, to download, to think, to begin to take action. So for those one-person HR organizations that don't have resources, that don't um, have the place to point people to, it's there. It's there for the big ones too, but that's a place where I just thought, I can help here. Let's get the conversation going and give people a starting point. Karen, what's your favorite movie? I don't have one. Big surprise. So what I love about movies is not just the movie. It's a story behind the movie. So one of them is When Harry Met Sally. And what I love, so I dig in a lot on how the movies are made and the the scripts behind it, because I often use it in storytelling. And what was fascinating to me about this is Rob Reiner was talking about the couples that they film on the couch that tell their story. And that came about because he was at a dinner at a friend's house that was miserable. And the friend's father wouldn't say two words. And it was the most awkward dinner. So he was trying to think of anything to get the conversation going. And he asked the father, well, how did you and your wife meet? And this man that didn't say two words, like all of a sudden gets nostalgic and starts telling this story and he looks all happy and he lights up. And he found that if you ask people, where did you meet your partner, your significant other, even if they're in a tiff, like they go back to this place. Um, So I love like learning things like that. So that's one I love. Wish I Was Here by Zach Braff. The Family Stone has some really good acting in it. And then, of course, Wendy, you know I'm going to say Hamilton. I'm going to count that as a movie. I love that because there's so much in there on the way the storytelling was pulled together. And, of course, the music. How about your favorite musician or band? Airborne Toxic Event. They are out of LA. They're about 10 years old. The song people may know is Sometime Around Midnight. The lead singer, Mikel Jolais, formed them. And that song came out of a night when he broke up with his girlfriend and ended up on the radio in LA and like took off. It's a a magic story. And he has an interesting memoir out right now. But really cool band, really great music that I may have seen in about five different cities. (laughs) (laughs) How about a favorite TV show? I don't have a favorite TV show. In the evenings, we tend to put on movies or documentaries. And so I don't have a a show that I'm watching. I'm more of a dipper on that, trying one here or there. Karen, I think it is safe to say that you will be the resident airborne toxic event expert for the HR Social Hour. I've heard of them. I've heard a little bit. I can safely say that name has never come up on this show. Kudos to you. Thank that is you. awesome. I always Thank love when we get somebody out. Out. Of, I don't want to say left. You know, left field in terms of a different favorite because that is 
That's great. I had one goal for this, John. It was to come out of this with you being impressed with something like (laughs) that. The fact that it was around music, like my day is made. I seriously think you would like them. From being a fan of the show and listening to you, I think that you would enjoy them. The faintest of familiarity, but as soon as you said the name of it, whoa, that is, that's deep. That is deep. If if people are not into the music, his Mikel Jolet's book Hollywood Park was a bestseller this summer. It is gripping. Um, he was in a cult growing up, and it's a story of that and getting out of it. It's like whoa, but it's a good read. If you're not watching these movies that tell great stories and have great stories behind them, not listening to Airborne Toxic Event, what else do you like to do outside of work? So I do play the flute and the piccolo. So I played in high school and in college in the marching band. And now I play in a community band where we have people from 25 to 85, which is awesome. Um, So I love that. I'm currently Wendy influenced me by posting a photo on Twitter of the Hamilton song book. So I got that and I am currently working my way through that. Ooh, um, hard, right? Oh my gosh. You know, the biggest problem is at, for a flute, you're not playing all the different lines that you are on piano. And so there's constant page turns and they're in bad spots. So <laughs> first world problems. I'm a runner. I've done 25 half marathons and have a group of women that I adore that we come together every Saturday and get out there and get moving. And it's also how I do a lot of my writing. I tend to get the idea, plant it, and then go for the run and, and it comes through. And then outdoor stuff, yoga, hiking, family. When we weren't in a COVID world, there was a lot of travel, international travel in there. Oh, fun, fun, fun. Well, finally, Karen, it is Karen Eberday all around the world. What are we doing to celebrate? We're handing the day over to someone else. Like the thought of that makes me so uncomfortable. <laughs> When I got married, we got married outside and our backup plan, if it rained, was to move indoors where I was going to have to come down a staircase. And I looked at that and I said to my husband, if it rains, I'm standing at the front and you're coming down the staircase and walking down the stairs. Which is so funny because I have no problem giving keynotes and leading workshops like that. I enjoy, but this is your day. I would just want people to do what they enjoy, which for me, I'd be playing music and running and this is your day. We could like get the original Hamilton people together and play oh, in the orchestra pit. You know, I didn't realize it was like that big a deal. Okay. Yeah. I would go for that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I feel like I already know the original Broadway cast anyhow. Right. They're, we're all best friends. Yeah, exactly. They don't know me, but they've been in my home several times. <laughs> my husband is like, why do you keep talking about, Oui, oui, mon ami, je m'appelle Lafayette. He hasn't watched it, so he has no oh, idea. Gosh. Oh, wow. Apologies for my terrible French accent on that. <laughs> <laughs> we won't ask you to do the Lafayette rap. No, 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 no. I don't want to get into copyright infringement issues either. But, <laughs> <laughs> but in all seriousness, Karen, this has been just a phenomenal conversation. I thank you so much for joining us and becoming part of our community so quickly as you have. And I will remember your two-colored eyes story for yes, quite a while, for sure. If, if I walk away with anything else, I know I've got that. Now, I know most of our listeners are probably already connected with you, but if they're not, 
what's the best way for them to reach you out there? Yeah. First, I just want to thank you both because I know you put a huge amount of time and effort into this. And the reason I plugged into the community is I could listen to these podcast episodes and then reach out to the people and say, hey, I listened to you on here. That is so cool. So thank you because it's been fun to be able to come on to something I'm a fan of. Best way to reach me, my website K-A-R-E-N-E-B-E-R.com. On there, you'll find connections to social media. You'll see brain food that's got different stories and the tools page, which has those free downloadables. Excellent. We will have that in the show notes for sure. Wendy, how about you? What's the best way for listeners to find you? The best way is always on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. Daily is D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, the second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter at 7 p.m. Eastern time as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat. How about you, John? One more quick plug again for Vadim and our friends over at ERE. Definitely check out that conference coming up in just a few weeks. We'll have, again, a link in the show notes and a a discount code for you to participate. For me, johntherman.com for all things John Thurman. hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com for the show. Listen, rate, review, share, anything and everything you always do to help us boost the signal. We appreciate international listeners. You heard some really poor French here tonight. (laughs) If you're in France and you want to connect, let's do it. Let's get you on. But in all seriousness, we do want to connect. We want to send you a gift for being part of the community. Karen, appreciate your time. And so for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast, I'm John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. network. Take care, everybody. We'll see you soon. 